Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, and welcome to Wine and Sympathy. <laughs> My name is Vanessa. And I'm Asabi. But we like to be known as Asabi and Ness. <laughs> Something like that. I don't Why know. Why are we ever going to get this right? I, yeah. Yeah. You decided. I know. I think it just it's got a better tone to it. Look, so I'm not basically, argue. As folks will know. Folks. That's folks. a new one. That's new. Um, we're here. We're in our 40s. Fabulous. Fighting. Beautiful and stunning. Uh, and, and of course, fascinated with people around us and people that we've, meet, that we've met, sorry, walking down the street. Um, one of the most um, amazing people I've actually had the pleasure of meeting and knowing is Dr. Greg Emerson. Now, he is an internationally recognized integrative medical specialist and founder of Treat the Cause Clinic. He is also available on YouTube, so please, if you can, check out some information about him. Now... Obviously, with this crazy time of discontent and isolation and misinformation about COVID-19, he is the person that I want to talk to, not only just for um, a little bit of uh, talking about health and wellness, but also what his take is, and then also talk to him a little bit about him. So, Greg, welcome. Welcome, Greg. Hi. You can talk. Good afternoon. It's a pleasure pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having you. I'm I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to get a word in, but I'm. You just did. Vanessa loves to talk. Oh my but God, so, this is coming from you? So do I. I love to talk as well. Um, so hi, Greg. Thank you so much for sitting down and joining Vanessa and myself. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm from New Zealand originally, and I'm a kind of en- enigmatic combination of doctor, farmer, wilderness survival expert, and yogi. Wow. And it kind of depends on what mood I'm in with to which one turns up on the day. But uh, I enjoy being an enigmatic combination of uh, multiple kind of, not personalities, but multiple pathways in life. That's fantastic. So you're kind of like a a journeyman, I guess, is that the term? Like a, or a jack of all trades, I guess. No, I wouldn't say a jack of all trades because most things I'm completely useless at. But <laughs> there are a few things that Can you I say that again? Most men don't admit that. <laughs> Sorry. No, keep going. Keep going. So, yeah, there, there's a, there's two or three areas I have some expertise in, but I'm generally completely useless in everything else. But, uh, I'm very happy with the areas I've chosen to specialize in. It's kind of uh, – I'm in a very comfortable part of my life, finally, where I've kind of worked out who I am and what areas of me that I want to develop. Okay. I guess Asabi and I are both at that kind of stage now. It's a really weird place, but a very Mm. cool place to be in. Yeah. We're still growing. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? You have to get to this age before you kind of realize, you know, who you are and and what direction you want to go. And, Mm. you know, but the trouble is most of your multiple serious life decisions are made have to be made in your 20s when you're kind of deciding who you are by yep. watching the latest movie and kind right. of adopting your personality to that. That's so very true. Um, so, so true. Yeah. 
All right, so let's get um, on to a little bit of health and wellness because I, I think the way that you approach um, health and wellness is, is very unique. What's your take on COVID-19? Well, there's a lot of information out there, and that's one of the problems. And so much of that information is opposing each other. And it's very difficult to, for people to decide what is true information and what is not. You know, there's stuff out there, this is a virus, it's not a virus. People are dying, they're not dying. Hospitals are full, they're not full. Mm. And uh, unless you're on the front line, it's very difficult for people to develop a strong opinion. And those who do have strong opinions often have not validated the information they've got it from. But I think, and I would be the same, but I think that there's no doubt that this is a virus. I think that no doubt it's a problem for a certain subset of the population, the very elderly, and those with multiple illnesses. And I think if you look at this independent Swiss research, it would suggest that for most of the population who don't fall into that group, the mortality rate is incredibly low. So I think, yes, we are dealing with a virus. Yes, for most of us, it's not going to be much worse than a common cold, but there are a subset of the population for various reasons, those in the very elderly and those with multiple illnesses where this does have a higher mortality than perhaps an ordinary seasonal viral infection. And and there is concerns for that population. Mm-hmm. And how do you feel governments are handling it right now? Do you think that they're on the right path or do you think they've gone overboard a little bit or do you think they're not doing enough? <laughs> Well, I think, I mean, the whole, the main strategy at the moment is the social isolation. Yeah. And so, so the, the first thing we have to remember that everybody forgets is that we are surrounded by a trillion viruses. We're sitting here now and there's a trillion viruses in the air around us. Mm. And if we go for a swim in the ocean today, there'll be 240 trillion different species. Uh, sorry, 240,000 different species of viruses. And most of our DNA is made up of, or not, yeah, a lot of our DNA is made up of viral DNA. And we have 380 trillion viruses living in our body at the moment. Wow. We're more viruses than human cells. So therefore, if we are going to succeed as a species, and we've been a very, very successful species, perhaps the most successful species ever on the planet, we have had to learn how to live in harmony with these viruses. Mm. In fact, science would suggest that our relationship with viruses has been positive because, because their DNA makes up a large part, part of our DNA. It has given us a lot of what we call spare parts DNA, which means when there is an environmental dramatic change, we are very, very quick early adapters through that environmental change, which means we're here and most of the dinosaurs are not. So Mm. our relationship with viruses in general is positive. Now occasionally, and what we what we how how we do that is we have an immune system which keeps us in harmony with those viruses. Now occasionally a virus comes along where we are we are not we don't live in harmony with that or our immune system gets lowered and you get a cold sore on your lip. Because anybody who's had a cold sore on their lip caused by a herpes virus. Not me. 
No, it's for most most of the time. Most of the time. Lie. No. You don't have a coulter on your lip. Occasionally, if you get stressed and your immune system drops down, you get a coulter on your lip. Yes. Um, and that's what's happening here. This is a virus which is mainly affecting people with poor immune systems. Now, mm -hmm. how we've chosen to protect those people is that we've gone in social isolation, which means that we're going to lower the rate that people get exposed to the virus, which is really good, and that will stop our hospitals being overwhelmed yeah. with a lot of sick people. Sure, sure. So that's positive. On the negative, it means that this is a virus which is going to persist in the environment because there's a trillion viruses surrounding us at the moment, which most of us are going to get delayed being exposed to. Mm. And therefore, because eventually we're going to have to come out of hiding. Yep. You know, the, you know, people have hidden from threats. If you've got a burglar trying to get into your house, you can hide away in a room. Eventually, you're going to have to come out. Yep. So you need to have a better strategy than just hiding. And at the moment, the social isolation is flattening that curve at how many people get exposed quickly, and therefore we stop overwhelming healthcare systems. But what countries are finding is the rate comes down and they start coming out of their hiding places, and they get the a second wave. And there's articles yeah. in the news today about Japan and Singapore mm -hmm. who had had a really good response to social isolation, but they come out of the hiding place and bang, this virus is sitting around and gets them in the second wave is worse than the, worse than the third, first like, wave. Like the Spanish flu. So unless we want to hide away for 10 years, we've got to come up with better strategies. Sure, yeah. sure. Good point. That is, and it's very daunting being a person whose main job in, involves social interaction. Because, yeah. you know, as a performer now, I, I can't perform because I mean, that's what I do. I perform to big groups of people all the time. And it's now cut that livelihood. Going forward, how do you see society changing now that we've we've gone through this social isolation and let's say we come out of it, how do you what what sort of lasting effects do you see on society? Okay, I'll answer that question, but can you come back later on and ask me what I think are additional strategies we can do, which means that we can come out of social isolation much faster? Yes. Oh, well why don't we talk about because that now? <laughs> Well, no, let's talk about the world first, and we'll come back to that one. Okay, cool. So how do I think it's going to change? Well, I think it's going to change workplaces dramatically because I think a lot of people are going to go, there's going to be a big part of the population who goes, I have really enjoyed working from home. Yeah. And I think I can, and I would like to continue to do that. And there are also going to be a lot of big corporations who go, well, we can actually function with most of our workforce at home, which means we don't have to rent a giant skyscraper in the middle of the city. Mm. at exorbitant rates to provide us a workplace. So I think we're going to find that changes workplaces dramatically and rentals of big buildings mm. as people realise that working from home is a practical solution to a lot of problems. So that's one thing. But they're always going to find things that, you know, in the newspapers today it was saying that Australians aren't going to be able to travel to Thailand or Bali for a couple of years because of they're not going to have developed what social isolation has meant is mm. that we haven't developed immunity against this virus. So right. the longer, as we said, we stay in hiding, the the more punitive our restrictions are going to have to be because we haven't developed any immunity to the virus. Sure. So we're going to find that tourism drops off dramatically 
our ability to leave the country drops off dramatically, but our ability to work from home increases and cities start to empty out of workplaces, but might a lot of those buildings in town which are now filled with corporations might start being filled with apartments rather than corporations as people realise that they can have their workplace at home. And people who rely on social interaction for their for their livelihood are mm. going to have to start working out how they can do that online more than person to person. Yeah, that's very true. Well, that's what Asabi's been doing. Mm. She's been doing like live concerts and and online yeah. and, and all those crazy sort of things just to keep alive, just to keep performing. Because yeah. to to her, it's like breathing. Yeah. So it is. Right. A, it's a massive shock. And I mean, I, before I was obviously laid off from my couple of jobs. I was interacting and uh, talking and emceeing and holding events. I can't do that anymore. And it's that was a big part of my makeup. So it feels very, very strange. Are you still separated from um, like the environment where you are? Are you at a home? Are you at a beach? Where are you living at the moment? Well, I live in northern New South Wales, which... Uh, so you can't you know, get to Queensland, huh? That whole... Uh, yeah, I left Queensland. That whole that triangle between Byron and Mullumbimby and Tweed and sure. maybe Nimbin, I think, is one of the best places to live in the world, and certainly filled with a high proportion of independent thinking people mm. and some of the best beaches in the world. So I have been really busy adapting my life to the new conditions, and you know, working in my garden, learning to fish, wild food foraging, and you know, even though we have severe restrictions, we can still get out and exercise and I can still go to the beach and get some exercise and go to the beach and fish and I can go to the beach and collect seaweed. So I've been really busy. I am concerned about, you know, that some of the voices who are calling for even tighter social isolation, mm-hmm. which I think is going to, would be a huge problem for a, a large amount of the population. Uh, and I think I, I think potentially would would have the reverse effect and would start a lot of people questioning how strictly they should adhere to those guidelines. And, and I, I always think that you know that government we we elect government to represent us, not to rule over us. Right. And if ninety nine percent of the population say, hey, we've had a look at the data and we feel these social restrictions are too severe, then government is there to not be a dictator, but to represent our wishes. So I think there's a there's a chance that if the social restrictions get any stricter, there will be a pushback against that. A bit of a rebellion. Mm. Yeah. On that note, I want to take a short break, <laughs> and then and we're going to pick up with that because I do have some questions about the Australian psyche as a whole so let's just take a quick break what happens when you put three of brisbane's most talented musicians together to create a playlist you get the new podcast shuffology join your three favorite shuffologists on a journey through time space shuffology and playlist creation every sunday on spotify apple Podcasts, and everywhere where a podcast is available playlists are available on spotify after the show So we're back with Dr. Greg Emerson. So, Asabi, you had a question for Yes. Yeah, so what we were just talking about was the fact that 
as a people, Australians as a people, we elect a government to fulfill our wishes as opposed to rule over us. And we were, or Greg was just saying that if the restrictions got any greater, there could be a potential for the Australian public to rise up. So I've only been here for about 12 years. I'm an immigrant. Um, we all as, are. Yeah, we're all immigrants. It's okay. Immigrants. Woohoo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, in my opinion, and, the, and this is only my opinion, and, and maybe a few friends of mine who are also immigrants, we don't see the Australian people as the type of people that would sort of band together and strike against government. Huh. Is that... Is that truly likely? Like, would would that truly happen, or are the Australian people more likely to just sit back, whinge about it, but not really do anything about it? Well, probably, but I'm not a I'm not an Australian either. I'm a Kiwi, so yeah. I'm also an immigrant. Yes. I know. So, yes. <laughs> so look, I think that the Australian people are an incredibly tolerant population, which is a good thing. Hmm. But I think there's a line in the sand that everybody will cross, that everybody, you know, where you go, okay, no, that's enough now. And the Australian population would be included in that. Yes, they are a lot more tolerant than a lot of other populations, but there are certain freedoms in the Australian population are not going to be prepared to give up. And I think everybody's been very compliant because they think this is going to be a short term. We said, yes, we'll socially isolate ourselves for two weeks. We want to help everybody out. We'll be good citizens. But if that two weeks becomes two months, becomes six months, becomes 12 months, mm. that's going to be a different story. So I, I think the Australian population are very compliant and I think they're very always very keen to do the right thing. But I think like any population, they will start to question that compliance if, if the social isolation persists for too long sure. and their, li- their livelihood comes under threat. Um, You know, if everybody has lost their jobs and has no income and the bills still keep coming in, Mm. um, I think that's when perhaps, and they can't go, the beaches remain closed and you can't go surfing, you can't sit on a park bench and you can't sit on a beach anymore. Mm. If that's still there in, you know, three, four, five months, then I think, yes, there might be a problem even in this country. Okay. So I was playing ping pong with my nephew and my family on the weekend and it was in the driveway uh, of the house. So we were well within our restrictions and the isolation and the quarantine or whatever you want to call it, ISO. And the cops actually drove past to double check on us. So right. somebody next door had said something or whatever. But I, I was quite a kind of scared mm. that if that's what we're going to be dealing with. Like even if I sit in my driveway or hang out in a friend's driveway, even if I'm keeping my social distance, yep. police going to come by and tell me off? Yeah, that, that, that's ridiculous. There are so many times when the Australian people have stood up. Uh, for one, when Kevin Rudd finally said sorry, mm. thousands of people walked the Harbour Bridge. Thousands of people banded together and said, "It's absolutely time yep. to stand up as one nation and say we are sorry." Mm. Even mm. though I wasn't born here, but my future is Australia. Yes, and that I believe Australians will stand up because we are so multicultural and we're all mm. we're all in this together. Yeah. And that is happening every single day we're having that thought, that Facebook group, that yeah. the bin isolation thing on Facebook. Yes. We're all in this together. So, yeah, I, I actually think that we will rise up. 
if I it comes to that, we will. <clears throat> well, I, I hope so, because it, it is a great nation. It's great people here. I love living here. Um, and, you know, I Hashtag do. Hashtag bliss. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag yay life. Um, <laughs> so I do, you know, it, it hurts me to see people having to shut themselves in. Um, I have a dear close friend who isn't coping well. Um, a number of people I know are not coping well. It's it's very sad. Um, I've been struggling. I'm a hugger. And, you know, I hadn't hugged anyone for over a month, and a friend of mine hugged me last Friday, and I broke down because I miss that human connection that I don't get to have right now because of this virus and what this virus is doing. Um, oh, that's yeah, it's it's rough. It's very rough. And and the and the solace that I have is that it is short lived. That's the hope. At least that was my hope a week ago. Um, you know, hearing that it could go for six months. What do you, what do you think, Greg? When do you reckon that we're gonna come out of this? I have no idea. That's the problem. I mean that the problem because it's not up to any of us. I mean, if the longer we socially isolate we're just putting off. It's like the, the the world debt. I mean, we keep printing more and more money to get us out of trouble. Borrowing. But eventually you can't continue to print money, but people just kick the, the can down the street a bit further. And the longer we stay in isolation, eventually we're going to have to try and find a solution to the virus because it's almost certainly not going to disappear from us. So eventually we're going to have to come out of isolation. Um, do you think that? Do you think? Well, that, we're going to have to eventually. Well, yeah. yes, definitely, yeah. I, and I, I want to. <laughs> you know, I, I want to perform yeah. at the festivals and the pubs and and the RSLs and you know weddings and parties. I, I want to go up and randomly hug people. Yeah, I, I swear, <laughs> I'm just gonna like hug children in the street. I might get arrested. I don't know. Um, <laughs> do you think well, that we, we'll be able? About rise up. I mean, that, rise up is a strong word. I hope it's just communication. I hope when. 99% of the population say, yes, we, we think, looking at all the data, that we need to end social isolation, that the government would go, okay, well, 99% of the population want this, and we're here to represent the population. So we, we will organize that. Well, I, uh, that's I, my hope that doesn't turn into anything where there's a rise uh, up. Oh, no, no, of course but, not. And I, I agree yeah, with we want, that. We but want I... good communication. But I don't want a government that will just say, well, that'll just cave to the pressure of the people. I want them to be able to say, this is what the people want and, and this is okay. You know, I wouldn't want yeah. them to just say, fine, this is what you want. And then all of a sudden we all go into like a chaos of disease because it wasn't right, even though it was what everybody wanted. So, yes, I want the government to represent us, but I want them to be smart about it as well, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, maybe we yes. should all just listen to New Zealand and Jacinda Edhern or Hearn. How do you say her last name? You're a Kiwi. Ed I don't Hearn. know. <laughs> well, I mean, they're they're an even more strict. Uh, they are. Yeah, they're in uh, serious lockdown. I read an article today. Yeah, I read an article today that all of the world leaders that are female, um, from Denmark to I think it was Finland and, and New Zealand, mm. um, all of the 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 cases of COVID-19 are the lowest because the females jumped in and went, no, this is what's happening. They're probably moms. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's an interesting article. We'll talk about that in our next little one. But let's move on from this depressing COVID-19 talk. <laughs> um, so, Greg, 
What do you think is the most underrated vitamin or supplement? For a woman in her 40s. Oh, there you go. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll be <laughs> about to say. In, term, in terms of the virus? No, just in, in terms general. Of women. Yeah. Vitamin D. Vitamin ah, D. Ah, that's a good one. And one that I really hate getting naturally. Because <laughs> you have to get it from sunlight. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And it's, Not it's the one funny. you're thinking of, Vanessa. <laughs> I was thinking of vitamin D, something it's, else. Mm-hmm. It's free. That's the beauty of it. And it's so incredibly powerful. And it's not actually a vitamin, it's a hormone. Oh, is it? Uh, I did not know that. But it's, yeah, it's free. So, I would think the most powerful things in the human body, which we get for free, are melat- which are both free, are melatonin and vitamin D. And both of them are incredibly important as well in not only for female health, not only for fetal health, mm. but also for the immune system. And why, why are those two the most important? What do, they, what do they do for you, for us? Okay, good question. Okay, so vitamin D is incredibly important for your immune system, why even, which is why even if you're stuck at home, you should be out getting some sun. Mm-hmm. And what vitamin D does in terms of your immune system, so let's talk about vitamin D in terms of bone strength, immune system, and cancer. That's, oh, all, that's the yeah. three big ones. Yeah, so yeah. from immune system, when the virus gets into your bloodstream, the first line of defense it hits is a white cell called a macrophage. And the macrophage are like the Marines. They're your first defense system against any, any intruder. Mm. And the macrophage looks like one of those Pac-Men from the old fish and chip shop <laughs> video games. Yeah. Um, and uh, they consume the virus particle. The virus is a little bit of RNA, genetic material, surrounded by a protein capsule. And the macrophage chomps it up. It then tears it apart, and it kills it, pulls it apart into little pieces, and it does that with a protein called cathelicidin. And cathelicidin is stimulated and activated by vitamin D. So vitamin D is in charge of of consuming that virus particle, tearing it into little bits, and then the macrophage then gives it to your B cells in your immune system, who then produce antibodies against those virus particles. It is nature's vaccine system. So next time you get exposed to the virus, you've got the B cells who are already primed to destroy the virus. That's amazing. So that's why vitamin D is so critical for your immune system and why all of us should be outside, even during our social isolation, topping up on our vitamin D levels. It's also critical for the bone strength in conjunction with calcium and magnesium, which is why people who are vitamin D deficient uh, always uh, get osteoporosis. That's a well-known association. And the third one is that vitamin D is critical in preventing cancer, particularly for women in terms of breast, ovarian, and cervical cancer. It's incredibly important. Um, in which is, and also development of the microbiome in the body. We now know that for women getting exposed to the sun, it reduces all-cause mortality from cancer, particularly breast cancer. Mm. And it also helps stimulate the microbiome by the light, the infrared light in sunlight penetrating into the gut and stimulating the microbiome 
uh, this, the good bacteria in our guts. And it also does that to the fetus. Now, here's some crazy stuff that we just discovered. We always thought that a woman, that a fetus inside a woman developed its microbiome, its good bacteria in its gut uh, at the time of delivery when it passed out through the vagina. Yep. Now we know that a fetus has a micro, its own microbiome inside his or her mother long before it's born. Ooh, and wow. we have no idea how those organisms get into the fetal gut. But we do know that get them, getting sunlight on your abdomen is good for your microbiome and also the fetal microbiome. And what did our mothers always do? They used to go out and get sun on their abdomen. And it's something we've forgotten about. But it's really interesting to see modern scientific research validating a lot of our traditional health practices. That's amazing. A woman getting sunlight on their breasts helps them reduce breast cancer. A woman getting sunlight on her abdomen uh, improves their microbiome. Women getting their gear off and getting sunlight on their vagina improves the vaginal microbiome. And we know that the healthier the vaginal microbiome, the less likely they are to get cervical cancer. So, um, you know, perhaps getting out, getting their clothes off while you're in while you're uh, in private um, is going to be a good thing for women to boost their immune system, strengthen their bones, improve their, dramatically reduce their risk of breast and ovarian and cervical cancer. And if they're pregnant, also improve their child's uh, microbiome as well. So basically, guys, you've heard it here first. If you get naked on your balcony during this isolation time, get your gear off, spread your legs. <laughs> You'll be right. Oh, kind of like what the whole that's, um. <laughs> there was that's, big... Vanessa's, that's Vanessa's translation. <laughs> that's my Vanessa. take on it, right? Get naked, get some sun. I was just about to say, I know exactly what I'm going to do when we sunshine. finish this. I can't wait to get on our balcony. <laughs> yeah. Right. So speaking of getting vitamin D, now obviously people with different levels of melatonin in their skin need longer exposure to the sun. What's the best way to know how much exposure you need? So obviously I'm ginger. Yeah, so Sabi is uh, I'm dark. Yes. dark, dark. So there's a couple of things I want to say about that. One I want to say is that um, it's, vitamin D is fat soluble, which means that you store it in your fat. So the human body knows that there's going to be seasons and there's going to be time when there's not as much UV light because you you make vitamin D from cholesterol when the ultraviolet light reacts with the cholesterol in the skin to produce vitamin D. So we know that. So just like the chipmunk stores nuts for winter, we store vitamin D for winter in our fat, which means that when it is summertime, when there is high levels of ultraviolet light, that's when you want to stock up on your vitamin D, which should be enough to get you through winter. Like and if you're in a really kind of very um, northern or southern area where your summer is short, or on your side, your winter is very long, that's when you might want to be like other animals who head south for winter. Mm. You might want to take a, you know, if you're in the, in the US and you live way up in northern Canada, where I used to work, you might want to take a holiday in Florida over winter for two weeks just to top up on your vitamin D. Right, okay. So that's the first thing is get store your vitamin D like a chipmunk stores acorns yep. in summer. <laughs> Second thing is that you probably want to try and maintain a healthy tan as your goal. 
don't get burnt when you get sun exposure. I don't. I never check my vitamin D levels. I just try and keep a healthy tan year round. Sure. Third thing is, yes, you're right. The more melanin in your skin, the um, less UV light you absorb. So people with high levels of melanin need a lot more sun. They're also, of course, protected from damage from the light. Yes. Uh, much more as well. So even so though it needs to go out in the sun a lot less, she has to be very careful about her skin. Whereas, you know, my friend Roby Mitchell in the US in Texas, you know, mm -hmm. he's got highly melanized skin. Yeah. He needs to go out in the sun for a lot longer, but he's also protected from damage from the sun a lot more as well. Sure. Sure. And the other thing I wanted to mention, Vanessa's going to ask me next because I know Vanessa will ask me this. <laughs> She'll say, well, how can I go out and get in the sun? And this is where nature's very smart. I would say to Vanessa the same thing. Is if Vanessa has never done squats in the gym, and I know she does squats in the gym, but just for today's <laughs> discussion, let's presume she's never done a squat in her life. And she said to me, Greg, you told me that I go and do squats in my gym so I get better looking legs. I've never done a squat before in my life. Should I go and do, uh, how many reps should I go and do? Well, I'd say start off small and build up as your legs get stronger. And the way nature that does, does that with our skin, it primes our skin with infrared light in the morning to prepare it for the ultraviolet light later on in the day. So when you're going to get a tan, if you have very, very, um, what did you call your skin, Vanessa? Ginger. Ginger. <laughs> I'm pale. Pale as fuck. Yeah. If you, have, if you have pale skin, you would start off with short exposures as your skin got used to the light, and you would start off earlier in the day. Because what, what we're meant to be doing is walking around the sun all day long, not dashing out at lunchtime, sitting in our offices all day and dashing out for an hour at lunchtime and getting our gear off and getting exposed to immediately the high levels of UV light. We're meant to be walking around it all day. And when I had my farm, even in midwinter, even in midsummer when the sun was the strongest, I didn't need to use sunscreen at all because I was out walking at around six naked. in the morning on the farm, <laughs> getting exposed to the high level of infrared light early in the morning, which then primed my skin for the ultraviolet late light later on. So the key if you've got very pale skin is start off with small exposure and start off earlier in the day so the infrared light starts to prime your skin and then you can slowly increase your exposure to ultraviolet light as you get a better and better tan. That's amazing. All right, we're going to take another short break and then we'll be back to ask a bit more about the second thing, melatonin. So let's just take this oh, quick good. break. The world is a mess. War, famine, politics. Why can't everyone just get along? Yeah, like in musicals. Musicals fix everything. If people listened and learned from musicals, everything would be better. Music, lights, and spontaneous choreography. What isn't there to love? If you want to learn all of life's important lessons... Or just listen to some musical theatre nerds wax lyrical... Subscribe to Musicals Tell Me Everything I Know, wherever you find fun and funny podcasts. Or at our website at thatsnotcanonproductions.com. That's Not Canon Productions podcast. And we're back. Welcome back. <laughs> like, as, this is our, one of our longest podcasts, but I find it actually really it's fascinating. It's very interesting. Yes, I, I love learning all of these things. And so we're talking with Dr. Greg Emerson about 
the two most important vitamins or yeah, vitamins, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Supplements, uh, vitamins, supplements, things that, that women need. Things that women need women for their of bodies. Our age. Yes, and we are quite young, 40 years young. <laughs> um, 44. <laughs> yeah, 44, both of us. We were just talking about vitamin D, but now, Greg, I want you to tell us about the second most important um, supplement, for lack of a better word, that you were saying we need melatonin. Tell us a bit about melatonin. So, melatonin is in the news a lot at the moment. And the other good thing about melatonin is it's free because we make our own. And we make melatonin in our pineal gland. And that was another in really interesting thing. And, and, and melatonin is traditionally known as the hormone which makes our cell, it makes us go to sleep at night. Yeah. Interestingly though, there was research out just last week that the fetus doesn't have, um, doesn't have a pineal gland until after it's born and therefore it's completely reliant on its mother's, his or her's mother's melatonin levels in utero. So that's another really good reason why pregnant women should be very, um, should be Low cognizant enough. of maintaining yeah. good levels of melatonin for themselves because it's their melatonin which was also being used by their fetus. So melatonin is traditionally known as the sleep hormone, and mm -hmm. we're in an epidemic of sleep problems in the modern world. Mm -hmm. But now we also know that melatonin is critical for pancreatic function. That's good Because uh, we've found melatonin receptors in the pancreas now, and so the worse your melatonin levels, the higher chance you are going to get diabetes. Oh. We also know melatonin is critical for, it's probably the most powerful anti-cancer agent on the planet, and we produce it ourselves, which is really good, producing our own chemotherapy agent, mm -hmm. which has no side effects. And melatonin is also critical at looking after our mitochondria. Our mitochondria are little bacteria. We have a quadrillion of them in our bodies. Yep. And they produce, are responsible for producing energy in our body. And those mitochondria, when they're like little petrol engines running inside our cells, producing our energy. But like any engine, they also get, they also produce pollution and they get worn out. Now, what melatonin does, melatonin reduces the damage caused by that pollution and it services our engines, it services the uh, mitochondria so they don't wear out. Mm. So melatonin, critical for sleep, critical for killing cancer cells, critical for not getting diabetes and critical for energy production because they're responsible for repair and maintenance of the mitochondria. And we now know that 95% of all degenerative diseases have mitochondrial dysfunction as a basis. So the healthier you keep the mitochondria, the less chance you have of getting 95% of chronic degenerative diseases. Oh, wow. And we produce this stuff for free for ourselves, except what we're doing is we're sabotaging our own melatonin production. And we do that by exposure to what at night, Vanessa, having worked with me for a long period of time? <laughs> what do we expose to at night that turns off our melatonin production? Um, blue light. Thank you, Vanessa. <laughs> oh, she learned something. Yes. I learned so much so from Rick. I learned, it it so, actually made me better health and wellness-wise. So explain what blue light is, because I have no idea. Okay, so 
That's a good question. So blue light is one spectrum. Natural light has a whole lot of different colors in it. You look at the rainbow, mm-hmm. there's the natural spectrum of light. Yes. And what st- our melatonin is produced in our pineal glands in our brain, and what stimulates that production to start is the infrared light in the morning. Yep. So one of the most important things you can do is get the, in- the early morning light on your eyes. You only need five, 10 minutes. And that tells your body that it's it's morning time and that you should start producing some energy hormones for the day. And you should start start the process of forming melatonin, which you're going to need later on the, the day, later on the evening, to get yourself to sleep. So get the infrared light on your eyes. Then when you see the sunrise, that circadian rhythm of the light is now much more red light at sunset, obviously. Mm-hmm. So you want to see the sunrise for the red light. Starts the synthesis of melatonin. And at sunset, when you get the infrared light on your eyes, mm-hmm. it tells your body that you're about to go to sleep soon. And so you should start secreting melatonin. Now, during midday, red light, there's not much red light. It looks very different at midday than it does at 6 in the morning at sure. 6 o'clock at night. Agreed yeah. with the light? Yeah. Yes. Because it's very white light. And that, there's a lot of blue light at midday, and blue light produces energy, which is good. You want to have a lot of energy at, at 12 o'clock at lunchtime. You don't want to have a lot of energy at midnight when you're going to sleep. Yeah. So the light controls that. And mm. so by, by the light getting on the retina of your eyes, and then that's why having... Uh, seafood and fish oils are so important because mm-hmm. it's the DHA, the omega-3 fatty acid in the retina, which converts that light signal into an electrical signal for your brain. And the electrical signal is responsible for, at night, the secretion of melatonin to put you to sleep, to improve your pancreas, to kill your cancer cells, and repair your mitochondria. Now, the problem is, after sunset, if you look at your phone, you look at your TV, you look at your computer, you, you turn on your lights in your house to keep the lights on, that's all blue light. Oh. That's not red light, that is blue light. So you're sitting looking at your phone at 10 o'clock at night, you're sitting there not looking at your phone, but with the lights and your ceiling on, you are telling your retina and your brain that it's midday. And you right. shouldn't be going to sleep, you should be having lots of energy. Oh. And that's what's crashing our melatonin levels. And then if you have a crash in melatonin levels, you're not going to sleep well. You're not going to have good pancreatic function. You're not going to kill cancer cells. And you're not going to repair your mitochondria. That is why it is so critical to see the sunrise, see the sunset, and then block the blue light after it gets dark at night. Because you want your brain to know what time of the day it is. Just follow Mother Nature. Yeah, and that makes so much sense. So. A couple of years ago, I did a spiritual journey in Bali. I know that sounds so first world, um, <laughs> but I was in Bali for a week, and that's exactly what we did. We had no television, no mobile phones, no computers, none of that. We were up at dawn doing yoga, and I think we did yoga five times a day, and we did yoga at sunset and then we you know, had a light dinner and went straight to bed, and I swear it was the best sleep that I had had all year long. It's because so you're listening just, to Mother Nature. Yeah, it, it makes so much sense. So much sense. You, you look at all the ancient yogi texts. Yeah. That's what they say. And that's what I love about the work I do now, looking how scientific research now is validating a lot of these 
ancient traditional practices that mm. that have been recorded for a long period of time. How long have you been a yogi? I have been. I did my yoga instructor training in Bali for a month in January, and uh, I agree. It was an ex- Bali for a month was an extraordinary experience mm. for me that has changed me forever. That's it's amazing. A beautiful place, island of the gods for sure. I can't believe I'm going to be blocked from going back there. Mm. But I hey, know because you were you were going every year, don't you? you yeah, because my dad. Up. My dad yeah. lives there and my stepmom, so I, and I also absolutely love the place. But Greg, with everything that you can do and everything that you've gone through, because, you know, I, I know a lot of stuff you've gone through as well, why do you still want to help people? That's a huge question. Well, I, that's a good question. Mm. Well, that's a really good question. I spoke to a lot of my – there was when I did my yogi course, there was a lot of Indian philosophers uh, there who were teaching us philosophy as well and which is always really helpful and I, I'm reading Gandhi's autobiography at the moment and that's one of these things I talk about I did a podcast about it yesterday about that even though we are in a crisis as a species we've been through a lot of crises yeah. and we've worked out ways to be resilient and ways to get through the crisis and ways to come out on the other side better and that's the hope for the three of us that when we get through this crisis that things will improve and we will have a re a better connection with mother earth and mm. each other and with communication and care of our planet and a lot of the and i spoke to a lot of these philosophy experts while i was in bali and a lot of our discussions were about our dharma what our duty is in life Mm. and finding that and i think that happiness comes out of following your life's duty and your dharma and i've embraced a lifestyle of minimalism now and of and of what a friend of mine calls contentment threshold where you go i don't need a lot of extra stuff in Mm -hmm. my life i have i have achieved a level of contentment and it doesn't need to be any greater and i get my my happiness and my love from understanding my connection to the earth and i understand the role of suffering in life and i'm happiest when i'm following my dharma in life and and i've really found my dharma and and that's with helping people and and i really like what i'm doing which is helping people better understand through science as we discussed some of our traditional health practices that have always made sense but we perhaps perhaps haven't known why we've done them it makes me so happy that's amazing and i think i think that's great work that you're doing because you know living in a western society where the western way of life has dominated the planet for you know lack of a better term for a long time it's going to take that western understanding to propagate eastern technologies and eastern medicines before people on a larger scale will listen maybe because this is it maybe yeah. this is the time i mean there are tons of people that do you know follow these traditions and they're finding these these old style traditions and adhering to them but we are learning on a greater scale the benefits of them and we need people to help us understand that and i think with some people you have to use the science. You have to use the language that they understand in order to transition them back to the old ways. Oh, well, that includes me. I mean, I haven't been a fan for a long period of time 
getting up at sunrise and, and doing some meditation. <laughs> well, who wants to do that? But, but when I, you know, when you read the science and everything I've said, every word I've said, every scientific thing I've mentioned today, if anybody doubts it, they can just get on a computer with their blue light blocking glasses on. And search, I need to get some of them. You know, search microbiome and fetus. Mm, mm. Search sunlight and microbiome on Google. Sure. Search melatonin and pancreas. Search melatonin and cancer. Search vaginal microbiome and cervical cancer. It's all there in the scientific literature. Yeah. I, I don't I make feel anything like I'm up. Just I'm go not and... that smart. I'm a, I'm a you know, a, book a Kiwi from a small town in New Zealand. But uh, I like to read and learn, and, sure. and I haven't had an original thought in my life. But I like to put into practice. Life. So, what's the best way to find you? What are your social media links? There's Treat the Cause YouTube channel, and on Facebook, there's Dr. Greg Emerson's mitochondrial and biohacking group, and on Instagram, it's Dr. Greg Emerson, Dr. Greg Emerson. Those would be the main ones. All right, fantastic. And we will have those links written down as well. Um, <clears throat> thank you again so much for joining us today and having – this has been a great chat. It's been an awesome chat. Mm. Greg and I used to have uh, a glass of wine – oh, can I say this? Uh, at the end of a, of a crazy afternoon and, and have chats that were, were very much not, – not so much always so scientific, but mm. just like go off in little tangents to ourselves. So – I knew he'd be an awesome guest. So thank you so much for coming along, Greg. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. No worries. All right, take care and wash your hands. Yes, <laughs> wash your hands. And we'll see you on the other side of this COVID-19. Yeah. Will you wash your hands too, Vanessa, after what you've got to do on your balcony? <laughs> That's for another podcast. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for joining us, Greg. All right. Bye. See ya. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.